Okay, it's a tremendous privilege to be back in uh, the Mate. Thank you again to the Lubats for hosting and for organizing, as always. Seeing as we are on the precipice of Rosh Chodesh, I know originally we were supposed to do this on Rosh Chodesh itself, but uh, I apologize I wasn't available tomorrow night. But to start to talk about Hanukkah a little bit, to try to prepare ourselves, and especially because Hanukkah is a time of light in the darkness, and because I can't say that we're living in unprecedented darkness, because that would not be true, but I think as I look around in our lifetimes, this is unprecedented darkness for us. So it's a good time to be mechazik ourselves. So everyone talks in Hanukkah about the machlekes between Beis and Beis Hillel. We all light the menorah the way that Beis Hillel instructs us to light the menorah, which is every night, being of v'haylech, every night one more candle than the night before. Because as the Gemara explains, ma'ilam b'kaydish ve'in maridim. person should always go up and not chas v'shalom go down. Beishama is the opposite opinion. Beishama says that we start off at eight, and by the eighth night we're down to one candle. And the question is for us: What's the Hezbra machlekes? What's the analysis of this machlekes in a way that we could be taking something out for ourselves? There's so many different drushas on how to explain this machlekes, but for ourselves, what's something that we could take out from this machlekes? But the Avudraham points out something. I'm sure many of you have heard this before. The Avudraham points out something unique when it comes to Hanukkah, that the word Hanukkah itself stands for Ches Neirois Vehalacha Kebeis Hillel. So here we see something different. Here we see that the Halacha of Hanukkah being like Beis Hillel is embedded in the name itself. And that's something unusual because in general, most, most, most of the time, we follow Beis Hillel, but here it seems to be that the name itself of Hanukkah demands, so to speak, that we follow Beis Hillel. And the question is, given that we know that Beis Shammai is, is not something to be chas v'shalom, not something to be mezalzalin in any way, and we know that some suggest that in the times of Olam Haba, we are going to follow the halacha like Beis Shammai, so then the question is, why Dafka here does the name Hanukkah itself impress upon us that here we must go like Basila? That it almost seems Khaswashan to say something like this because but it almost seems like Hanukkah itself only has room for Basila, and in a certain way, on whatever level this means, again not Khaswashalm in any way to be Mazalzal and Beishamai. But it almost seems like here there's no room for Beishamai whatsoever. That the idea that we start off at eight and go down to one, there's no room for that whatsoever. The question is, how could that be? How could it be that here Hanukkah itself in some way embodies the halacha of Beis Hillel in a way that, that is unlike any other halacha? There's a question that's at the soul of this entire tkufa that we're living in, not just this entire tkufa that we're living in, but in general the notion of darkness, 
which is why does darkness feel so permanent? Something, there's something about the nature of, of a nephilo, there's something about the nature of darkness that it seems that when we enter into it, it's, it's forever. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you've had this. I hope you have because it's like one of the sweetest things. But sometimes when your kids get sick when they're very little, they, they ever do that thing where they say, I feel like I remember my son when he was three years old, he got sick. And he said to me in that like, little three-year-old voice, he goes, I feel like I'm going to be sick forever. You know, like, there's something like, so precious about a child who like, just doesn't know that this is going to end. So they get strep throat or they get an ear infection. And it, like, especially maybe an ear infection more. You know how like, an ear infection takes over your entire body? Like, it's, a t- it's something in the ear, but like, you're, just, you're like ice mensch. You can't, you can't be a person in that time. There's a sense of like, like you're stuck in that feeling so much that there's almost, it almost feels like there's no way out of it. The question is, why is that? Why is it that when we enter into tkufas like this, somehow there's a feeling of, of permanence to the darkness? I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm saying something that's shayach to everybody, but I, I certainly feel that way. I feel like, I feel like, like Bifrat right now when we're talking about this war, like we have no idea when this is going to end. And we know, even Al-Pidarech HaTeva, we know that this has to go very slowly. Like, in some wars, you see that, that Eretz Yisrael, we have to go fast because we know that we have like a small window of opportunity to take care of what we need to take care of before the world demands that there's a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I don't know how long you've been living here, but the way it basically goes is like, like, they come in, they blitz whatever they have to blitz in like a week period. Then, they, then there's a call for a ceasefire. That's like a 48-hour period where like the Israelis get like 48 hours to finish up. And then there's the ceasefire. Here already we see, in a very strange way, the Israelis are not going to be gyrus a ceasefire. There's no room, there's no room for a ceasefire. Even some of the world leaders, who in general are not necessarily the most intelligent people, even they know, like, a call for a ceasefire now, like, it's crazy to let Hamas rearm. Biden said it, I saw one of the British MPs said it. Like, it, it's pretty, so that they have a name change for it now, so they're very clever. It's not a ceasefire, it's a, it's a humanitarian pause. I, I, I think these people are tremendous when it comes to making up words. Like, <laughs> I wish I had that type of kayach, you know, like... <laughs> Imagine like a guy in yeshiva who's like, you know, comes back late for curfew. And come back late for curfew, Rebbe. I, I was just on a pause between buses for too long. Like, yeah, like these, these people are very clever. I saw a very good line. Somebody said, we'll give a humanitarian pause when they tra- start treating our hostages like humans and returning them. I think everyone probably saw that mean. Does a humanitarian pause mean that the hostages get to come home for Shabbos? Like, the, like even though the world itself has gone crazy, but like, it's like a notion, like, this is not going to end. It's not going to end. They have to go block by block. They have to go through all the tunnels that these Rishon Marurim built. This, so there's a sense of dread of how long is this going to take. And also because we know the price we're going to pay. We know, I mean, we can't even talk about it without breaking down, but we know the price we're going to have to pay. We know that Yiddish Kinder. That, that Jewish men and women who are out there doing what they have to be done, we know that 
we know that, unfortunately, but we know that we're going to lose soldiers. And, and every one of them is too much of a price to pay for us, but we have no choice. So it seems to be that in order to go slowly and methodically and, and to take over every weapons depot, it could, be, it could be that we're talking about months, it could be we're talking about longer, we, we probably don't know. And you're talking to all the forecasters, and some will be Purim, Pesach, everyone's talking about, like, this is going to go for a while. And then you start to reflect backwards, and you're like, did it ever really stop? Like, has it ever really stopped? Has there been, like, a permanence to anti-Semitism that, like, not only in our lifetime, not only the first intifada and the second intifada, and then you go back to the Persian Gulf War, and then you go back to the 80s and what was going on, and then you go back to this, you know, 1960, you know the early 70s, 1967, 1948, 1952, I skipped, and then you start going back to the Holocaust, and there's a certain sense of, like, does this darkness ever end? Has it ever ended? Maybe just because we grew up in a certain Kufa, so we thought to ourselves... Like, it got good. No, the last couple of years, it was good. It was like, it seemed like a certain lightness here in this country. And, and then, like, in a moment's notice, the whole world went on fire. That's what it feels like for a second, but then you start to think about it, and you realize <coughs> the darkness had a certain permanence to it that never really went away. Shaili is, why is that? Why is it that we feel that the darkness has a permanence to it? And not only on a, on a national level or on a global level, but even in a permanent level, when a person has, even, even on a personal level, when a person has in the feel, doesn't it feel like, it feels like, like this is who we are now. Like, a person has in the feel in their marriage. Okay, so now this is the marriage. It's hard to extract yourself. It's hard to recognize that it was pambe. It's hard to recognize that it was a one-off. We start to build narratives for ourselves. No, like, this happens every time. We always end up back in this place. Right? Whenever you start using those words, you know that you're like speaking from a place of pain, like always and never and ever. <laughs> like, you always have that type of like speech. Anytime we have an afila in our ruchnias, it's like it's always been this way. And there's a feeling of permanence. Shaila is, why is that? Teretz is that that is the nature of darkness. It's not, a, it's not a bug, it's a feature. The nature of darkness is that it has a permanent quality to it. You know, this to try to unpack this a little bit, to explain it in a deep way, a person thinks like, it's dark, but it's for a moment. No. If it's dark, the feeling of darkness is permanence. Those are not two separate things. It's not that it's dark, and I feel like it's permanent. Part and parcel of the darkness is the permanence. It's, a, it's, it's built into the system of darkness. Built into the nefila is, this is who I am now. There's a sense of like identification with the darkness. It, it, I could try to unpack it a little bit more to try to give you an example, but the, the best way really to explain it is from the Nachash HaKadmoni. The Nachash HaKadmoni, who of course is the person, or the, I should say not the person, but the, the being that brings darkness into the world. So the Nachash HaKadmoni stood on two feet. And when the Nachash HaKadmoni, and the Nachash HaKadmoni in many ways looked like a person. As we see a snake today and we think to ourselves, it's a snake, what's the shaykh to a person? But it was intelligent, it, was, it had you know, verbal skills, it was capable, it was eloquent, it was capable of rational argument, it stood on two feet, it, it had a taiva for, for chava, whatever that means, there was some sort of, uh, there was some sort of, again, these are deep in Yanam and Rashi, but there was some sort of relationship that had occurred with Adam Arishon that the Nachash felt spurned by Adam Rishon, the fact that Adam Rishon said, you're not a mate for me, and that Chava needed to be created. So the Nachash was not just like a, like a cow walking around and munching on grass. This is a sophisticated animal. The nature of the, of the punishment is midah keneged midah. 
you brought darkness into the world, so now your legs are removed, and you'll be in a constant state of nefilah. That's what a nachash is. A nachash is in a constant state of nefilah. It's not like any other animal that could rear itself up. The nature of the nachash is that it slithers on the ground, meaning it's constantly in a state of nefilah, because that's what it brought into the world. It didn't bring into the world a certain amount of nefilah. A nefilah for five minutes. The nature of nefilah is that it feels permanent, because that's what the nachash hakarmoni is. It's a, it's a permanent type of nefilah. Which brings us to the crossroads between Yidin and Goyim. And it goes as follows. In this week's parsha, we know that Rivka Yimenu became aware, without getting into the details, she became aware that she had twins. Rashi explains, Kishazek comes and nofal. That when Esav is up, Yaakov will be down. When Yaakov is up, Esav will be down. Kishazek comes and nofal. So the Pashup shot, the way that many of us grew up hearing it, is exactly like I just explained. If Esav is up, then Yaakov is down. If Yaakov is up, then Esav is down. But that's not really the, that's not really the right way to explain it. Kishazekam Zenofel means that Yaakov is Be'etzim Akam and Esav is Be'etzim Anofel. They go to, and as Yaakov Avinu has no shaykhs to the world of Nefila. There's no connection whatsoever to the world of Nefila. A Jew does not live within the world of Nefila. Because the world itself is a place of nefilah, and a Jew lives somewhere between this world and the world above. The nature of a Jew is that we have both a nefesh alakis and a nefesh abahamis, a godly soul and a body. Because of that, because of the design of the Jew, we're only a little bit in this world. We have a material body and we live within the material world and we're meant to do mitzvahs within the material world in order to bring Hashem a dir We're designed to make this world into a dwelling place for God. But fundamentally, a Jew is not of the world. We are not of creation. That's a, it's, a, it's a serious point right there in Hashkafa, that we are not of creation. This is, I heard one of the Rebbeim in Yeshiva, he said very well, one of the boys asked, he said, Rebbe, there's billions of people in the world. You're telling me that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose only 14 million. So he said, if you look at it that way, you have a kasha. But if you understand that the 14 million are not of the world, then you don't have a kasha. If the 14 million are of a completely different order, not chas to say that, that, a, that a Gentile doesn't have a place in the world, the job of the Jew is to influence and to impact on the Gentile so that the whole world can be makir Baruch Hu in this world. But fundamentally, a Jew is not of the world. That's why Chazal say that we are not created from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's speech. Everything in the world is created from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's speech. But we are all of Machshava. We're created from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mind. A thought has a certain more personal, it's, it's more internal, it's not spoken out. So there's something unique about the nature of a Jew. We're not of the world. And because we're not of the world, we're not shaykh to the world of Nefila. A Jew does not go down. It's not possible for a Jew to go down. Aye, but you'll say... We experience nefilas all the time. So, the emphasis is that we have the capacity to borrow nefila from Esav, and Esav has the capacity to borrow being a come from us. But really, really, Esav is a neifel, and a yid is a come. There are times when because a Jew is acting in a particular way, because we identify with Esav, so we become shayach to the world of nefila, but not be'etzem. 
a Jew could be a Neufel, but not in his not in his essence, in a state of Nefila, but not not a being of Nefila. Only Ace of the Shaykh to the world of Nefila. Why is Ace of Shaykh to the world of Nefila? So I, I saw this years ago and it blew my mind the first time I saw it. Did you know that Esav had a tattoo? Esav had a tattoo. What was Esav's tattoo? Esav had a tattoo of the Nachash HaKadmoni. Why does Esav have, to have a tattoo of the Nachash HaKadmoni? Because the whole Yesoid of Esav is he embodies the Nachash in this world. That's why he says, Hine anochi I'm going to die. The nature of Esav HaRasha is that he's, he's living in the world of Misa. He's living in the world of Nefila. He's not Shaykh to the, to the Brach. He's not Shaykh to the birthright. Of Yitzchak, because there's nothing, there's nothing about him that's be'etzemakam. There's nothing about him that's be'etzemakam. Yaakov Avinu is be'etzemakam. What's the sheker of Esav? What's the sheker of Esav? When, when the Pasuk says, Kitsayed Befiv, what's the sheker of Esav? So the sheker of Esav is that somehow he tells us that we are in a state of nefila like him. That's the sheker that Esau brings to the world. That he looks at a Jew and he says, you see, you fall like I fall. And we begin to identify with the darkness in that way. That's the sheker of Esau. That's the danger of Esau. That when a person's in a state of nefila, they feel like the nefila is permanent because that's the nature of nefila. But if, they would be ta- if we would be tapped into the nature of a yid, we would know that we're not shy to that nefila anyway. But the sheker that the darkness tells us, the sheker of Esav, is this is you. That's, that's what we have to educate our children. And, and honestly, we have to educate ourselves. There's a difference between I did something that I'm not proud of and I am something that I'm not proud of. The, the problem for so many of us is that we grew up over-identifying with our nephilus. So you see, by the boys you see this very much, the girls in a different way, but by the boys you see this very much, that when the boys have certain challenges in Yonam of Kedusha, there's like, like a total debacle of their entire being. It's like, how can, I, how, can I be, how can I be a person? How can I daven? How can I be a tefillin? How can I, how can I wear tzitzis? How can I learn Torah? Don't you see? I'm a, I'm a rasha marusha. What just happened here? You're, you're a human being. You're a human being. You, you fell into, as I heard many years ago from uh, Rabbi Binyamin Chernishlita, who's a rabbi in Shayashev. He, he's very bitsina, so nobody really knows who he is. But if you ever have the opportunity, I don't know if there's anything from Rabbi Cherney online. You remember, you know Rabbi Cherney? Am I, am I exaggerating? Rabbi yeah. Cherney is a tzad, he's an unbelievable person. But he, but he works, somebody once told me that where Weinberger is in Nigla, Rabbi Cherney is in Nister. And Kafi, how much the entire world knows Rav Weinberger, that's how hard Rabbi Cherney is working, that nobody in the world should know his name. So I, I once, and he's an unbelievable tzaddik. And I, I, Rabbi Cherney, the way he says it, whenever... Whenever he's talking to the boys, he always says it in the sweetest way. He goes, you fell into a funny place in a funny time. You ended up in a weird situation. So he's, it's, like he, it's a chinuch message that he's giving. He's saying, it's not you. You ended up in a strange place in a funny time in a weird way. How'd you end up there? It doesn't even make any sense. It, what he's doing is he's helping the boys understand, it's not you. It's not you. That's the ace of inside of us that tells us, you, you are this nefila. You had a nefila. You are the nefila. The nature of the darkness tells you that it's permanent. Yeah, but I'm not shaykh to the nefila. Yeah, but you are. That's the sheker. That's the sheker of Esav. The emes is that a yid has a completely different modality. And I, I'll use this term because it's the only way I know how to say it. 
Anyone here ever uh, read Shel Silverstein, the, the poet Shel Silverstein? Yeah, amazing, uh, he has some amazing poetry. So there's a line, uh, it's not even a line, it's a phrase from Shel Silverstein that I love. It's called falling upwards. Or falling, up, falling upwards is a very beautiful line. What does it mean to fall upwards? To fall upwards means that what appears to be a downward motion is really an upward motion. What appears to be down is really up. That the way that something goes up is not linear. We tend to think of up as like if you're going on an airplane and it's, it's going down and up, you're in very big trouble. So in the world, we look at, we look at the vicissitudes of life as down and up. But in the, in the spiritual world, the mahalach of kam involves going down. It's part of the process. So for example, you see by the Mishkan, by the first seven days of the Mishkan, every single day in the morning they would build the Mishkan, and every single day at night they would dismantle the Mishkan, until the eighth day, and then the Mishkan took on a certain permanence to it. Why is it that for the first seven days of the Mishkan, the Mishkan needed to be built and dismantled? Why is that part of the process? Because in order for us to achieve that Bechina of the eighth level, of being in a state of calm completely, to reaching that level where it has a permanent upwardness, it needs to go through a process of nefila. It doesn't mean that it is a nefila. That nefila is falling upwards. In fact, you can't even really touch it as a nefila. It's it's a it's breaking almanas livnos. It's it's soisr almanas livnos. I'm taking it down in order to in order to build it up. Meaning, we look at it and we're saying you're dismantling it. But really, any builder understands you're not dismantling it. If if you would go. The way we see it, which is like a silly way of seeing it, but imagine like we're doing, well, I imagine you all moved in fairly recently. So if you moved into this country, so you know this word, shiputsim. Nobody buys an apartment and then lives in that apartment. You buy an apartment to make an apartment. And if you, and if you buy a new apartment, you still have to do shiputsim on the apartment because the shiputsim weren't included in the price. And then you have the, the kablan that says, this is the apartment and this is the shiputs on the apartment. That's an unbelievable deal that these people have. I'll build you an apartment twice. I remember when I was dealing with my house, so the Kablan said, I have to put a wall, but then I'm going to have to break the wall in order to do your shiput. So I was like, or, or you could not build the wall. Like, that's an option. He goes, no, you have to. I was like, for who? It's like, they require it. The area requires it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, it didn't make it, as an American, I was living in America when we built our apartment. I was like, that makes no sense to me. You have to build a wall to make a wall. He goes, yeah. So I was like, can you at least make it give us? He goes, no, it has to be a real wall. So I'm like, you're going to build a wall to break a wall? Exactly. It's a, it, so to me, it looks like in the world of being a human being who lives in an apartment, it looks like you built a wall to break a wall. But a shiputznik doesn't look at it like that. A shiputznik looks and says, I'm not breaking a wall, I'm opening up your halal space. It looks like you're breaking a wall, but you're opening up a halal space. That's the right way to touch it. So even to say that it's being dismantled and rebuilt is wrong. Even that's, it's not 100% correct. Because that would mean that there's a nefila and there's an aliyah. There's a nefila and then there's an aliyah. It's not a nefila and then an aliyah. Part and parcel of the process is the breaking because that it in itself, it's not, it's yurida l'tzarech aliyah. It's not yurida l'tzarech aliyah. There's no yurida. There's no yurida. It's not, you're not going down to go up. There's no going down. It just looks that way. But really it's falling upwards. That's the best way I know how to explain it. I don't know if that made any sense, but it's the best way I know how to explain it. There's two beginners here. This is the Bechina of Davra Melech and Yosef HaTzadet. You know, the Zayar HaKadosh says that Davra Melech was born a stillborn. You know that? He was born a stillborn. In a miraculous way, 
somehow he was revived and he lived. But David HaMelech was born as a stillborn baby. That means to say that David HaMelech is a Neufel. David HaMelech is a Neufel. Now, where, where in the world does David HaMelech get the shaykhs to being a Neufel? So we know that David HaMelech really is the tikkun for Esav HaRasha. That's why David HaMelech, like Esav, is an Admaini. He's also red. We know that David HaMelech is a warrior, just like Esav is. But David HaMelech, in fact, the Medjur says Beferish, the Medjur says Beferish, that David HaMelech is the tikkun for Esav. But the difference between David HaMelech and Esav is that Esav is a Neufel, and David HaMelech is the revelation, and we'll see how this works in a minute. David HaMelech is the revelation that the Nefila is not a Nefila, but it looks like a Nefila. That's why by David HaMelech we say, HaRachamon Yakam Lanu Esukas David HaNeufalis. Is the nature of David HaMelech is that he lives within the world of Nefila to be Megala that it's not a Nefila. Which is why we see in the story of, of, of Megillus Esther that Haman, who's Mizera Esav, is always in a state of Nefila. Listen to what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says, Haman so we know at this point in the story that Haman tells his wife and all of his chacham exactly what happened. Listen what they say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It's the opposite. The pasuk here is wrong. The point is this. I'm sorry. It says, That's the critical part. What are the, what's the Pasuk saying? The Chachamim of... The, it was my fault. I, I wrote wrong other thing. It's not your fault. Just print it. It's my fault. What are they saying? They're saying, if you've begun to fall, surely you'll fall. There's no way you're not going to fall. Why doesn't Mordechai bow down to... Uh, why doesn't Mordechai bow down to Haman? The Emma says, Mordechai understands that he's Mizera Yaakov, and he can't be a Neufel. He can't prostrate himself in front, of, in front of Haman, because it goes against the nature of what a Yid is. What are the Chachamim, what is Zeresh saying to, saying to Haman? They're saying to him, we know how this story ends. Be'etzem, you're a Neufel. There's no, there's no shaykhus to the world of, of not being a Neufel. A Yid is a Kam, and, and Zera of Esav is a Neufel. How does Yosef help us here? So we know that Yosef HaTzadik is Kisheva Yipol HaTzadik Vikam. When the Pasuk says that the Tzadik will fall down seven times and will always get up, who's the Tzadik that the Pasuk is referring to? So the Sfarim HaKadoshim say that this is referring to Yosef HaTzadik. And when you start to unpack this, it makes sense. Because if you look at everything in Yosef's life, it represents the concept that we were just talking about. What's the concept? Yosef HaTzadik is sold down by his brothers. He goes into a bar. He's sold down to Mitzrayim. And every time it appears that he's going in a downward trend, what happens? Then he becomes the head of the house of Potiphar. So then he's sold even lower. So you're going lower, you're going to go into a jail. So then he ends up as the viceroy of all of Mitzrayim. The nature of Yosef HaTzadik is that he can't go down. That's why the Pasuk tells us that he says, Kama He says, all of my sheaves stood up, and all of your sheaves bowed down to mine. What's the pshat in that? Yosef HaTzadik is saying, I am a come. Meaning, if you look at David HaMelech and Yosef HaTzadik together, so what does it look like? David HaMelech is the beginner of a neufel who's not really a neufel. He falls, he's a stillborn, but you see, he's not really. He's Esav, but he's not really. 
What does Yosef HaTzadik teach us? When you put Yosef and, and David HaMelech together, Yosef reveals that what appears to be a nefila is really an aliyah. The whole thing is a come. Which is why Mashiach ben Yosef needs to come before Mashiach ben David. Because Mashiach ben Yosef, which is what we're on the precipice of experiencing right now, Mashiach ben Yosef has to come into the world to teach the world that what you're experiencing is, is not shayach to you. It looks like it looks like a nefila. It's really an aliyah. The whole world—it's not by accident. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to map out how Mashiach comes, so you have to just look at what's happening in the world, right? Pay attention now to the world of psychology. It's it's a raya for what we're saying over here. Because what's everybody tumulting right now in the world of psychology? What's everybody like working on? What's like the big deal? People are dealing with anxiety and depression and addiction. It's all the same zach. It's all one thing. All of this, this whole tyra of anxiety and depression and addiction, all of these things come to one basic nakuda. And this is what the world of psychology is, is, is 100% in on right now, and it's true. All of these are things that you do and not who you are. So there's a big pushback today in the world of addiction, for example, because what, what, what do they want in the 12 steps? They want the first thing that an addict says... They want it to be, I am an addict. And there's a big pushback today in the world of addiction. You're not an addict. It's, you're not, your machus is not an addict. That's not who you are. Your machus is not an addict. You're a person who's behaving in a particular way because of what they've gone through in their life. Uh, an old friend of mine, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see it, was just uh, interviewed on Meaningful Minute, a guy, uh, Sonny Perlman. Any of you saw it? Sonny Perlman is an uh, old, old school 1980s Farakaway. So it was like a, a whole chever that came out of Farakway back then, very chash of a chever. So Sani's whole Torah, when he went on Meaningful Minute, and it's really what he built our place on, it's a tremendous thing. He's saying a very simple thing. He's saying, These are, you're calling them addicts. Is it, they're just people who don't have enough sense of worthiness in their life. They're just missing worthiness. It's all the same Torah. You're not an addict. You're a person who's missing worthiness. If you would have worthiness, you'd be okay. Everyone's dealing with this now. All the anxiety and depression that take a person out of feeling their feelings. Why, do, why, do, why does a person need to escape their feelings? Why do we need to do that to begin with? Because a person doesn't want to feel a feeling that's going to get them stuck in a feeling. I, I want you to know it's a fascinating thing. The kids today have much, much more sophisticated emotional language than we ever had. I'm so impressed. Everyone always knocks this generation for this and for that. I want to tell you something, these kids have unbelievable emotional language, and they articulate it, they say it, they'll say it to you openly, Rebbe, if I allow myself to go there, I'm never going to leave. I don't, want to, I don't want to even think about it because I don't want to leave there. They're not right, that's not the right way to look at it. It's not an emotionally developed way of looking at it. But I totally can understand that. By the way, you can imagine in the 90s, <laughs> like if a kid would say, like, I'm, I'm reticent to feel this emotion because I feel I'm going to lose myself to it. For sure you would have gotten punched in the face for saying that. There's no, there's no question. Nobody was ever cool enough in the 90s. I don't care. The coolest kid was not capable of pulling that off. What we have to teach our children is this Bechina of Yosef HaTzadik that you are a come, that you could go into that emotion, you could go into that space, you could go into that darkness, and it's okay. You won't lose yourself to it. You know, the, uh, that beautiful marshal of a person who's on the ground searching, it's, it's late at night and he's searching on the ground and somebody walks by and they say, are, are you okay? Did you lose something? Do you need help? The guy says, yeah, I lost my wallet. So the guy says, I'll help you find it. He gets down on all fours and he's searching for the wallet and he goes, Where, where'd you lose it? And he goes, about 50 feet that way. So he goes, so why are you looking over here? He goes, it's very dark over there. It's, it's a very deep marshal. 
Because how many of us are doing that? We search in the light because we're afraid to look in the darkness. Why are we afraid to lose in the, look in the darkness? Because if I look in the darkness, I'm going to lose myself. And, and, and by the way, it's true. It's true. There's a certain sense of like, you're going to be in it, and it's going to feel like a permanent thing. But it's not a permanent thing. And if you're not willing to go into the darkness, the darkness is where the light is buried. If you, if you don't go into the darkness, you're not going to find the thing that you're looking for. It's like imagine just on a very simple level. I mean, it's not simple at all, but on a simple level, imagine you have a couple that's fighting. But they're not willing to say the real thing. So you know how you fight about the thing that's not the thing? You ever, you ever do that? Right? Like, like, like three lines into the fight, you're like, he's, he's like, she's like, yeah, like, you never put your socks in the hamper. And he's like, you're always criticizing me. And, she goes, and you never like my mother. Like, how did we, <laughs> how did we end up in that place? You know, it's not, and, and it's not Bechal what's going on. There's a conversation that's not being had. That's not, by the way, that's why we fight. The reason why we have trouble with our spouses is because we don't want to say the hard thing. Because if we say the hard thing, it's going to go to a hard place. And nobody wants to go to a hard place. So nobody wants to say, I'm, I'm, I'm scared because when you do this, it brings this thing up for me. And I lose myself to that feeling. Nobody wants to say that. So nobody wants to go there in themselves, let alone in the other person, to actually share what's going on, especially if that person just did something that triggered me and hurt me, and now I feel like I can't say that thing. So we're all like staying out of the darkness in order to like not have the hard conversation, but the relationship is in the hard conversation. No, the relationship is sitting with the other person and going, like, let's, like, let's unpack this, it's okay, I'm not sitting in judgment with you, I just want to go to that place and see if we can get there. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, but that's the avoda because that's where the relationship is. So there's a sense of, there has to be a Yosef HaTzadik moment where you say all of this is not, it's not Bechlal and Nefila, it's an Aliyah. And then a person has the capacity to go into the world of David HaMelech and say, I'm a Neufel. This place of this darkness, of this, of this being a stillborn, of having no life, that's the, that's the Bechina of David HaMelech that a person can only get to when they have a Yosef HaTzadik. And that's really the whole Bechina of Hanukkah. The whole Bechina of Hanukkah is Yosef HaTzadik. That's why we know, many brought down already, that Bnei Sassar points out that Yosef is the same gematria as Antiochus, and the Megala Amukos writes that the whole Greek domination over Klal Yisrael at that time was only because of Mechiras Yosef, and even in the Gemara and I mean, there are many, many examples of this, but the Gemara and Shabbos, that's talking about all the halachas of Hanukkah in the middle stops to talk almost randomly about the fact that Yosef HaTzadik was thrown into the pit by his brothers. Yosef HaTzadik is intrinsic to the entire story of Hanukkah. That's why the, they said, who, Who's the Shor that they're talking about? That's Alei Shor, that's Yosef HaTzadik. There's many, many connections between Yosef HaTzadik and Hanukkah. What's the idea here? The idea here is that the oil of Hanukkah, oil always rises to the top. That in the world of oil, there's no such thing as a nefila. If you look, I, I don't know if you do this, it's actually a machlekes if it's mutter or not, but and many put the, uh, when they're lighting their Shabbos nero, so they, they have the cups, and they put like water and oil. So it, it's not 100% clear that it's mutter to do. Many, many pais can make it. If you do it, you don't have to stop. I'm not chas shalom here to ruin your Shabbos. The, but if you pour in, like my daughter is like doing, uh, if you pour in the water first, and then you pour in the oil, so like you almost see like how far the oil can go down till it rises. Like if you're an adult, you pour it in slowly. But if you're like a kid, so you just want to see, it's like a little cool to see the oil go down into the water. It it doesn't it like it it goes down, but it, like the second it's going down, it's already going up. That's the nature of Hanukkah is that there's that there's no nefila, which is weird because the whole story of Hanukkah is nefila. The whole story of Hanukkah is. 
that Klal Yisrael really became Hellenized. Not a small amount of Klal Yisrael. The, and, and by the way, it's the, it's the only time we don't see tshuva in the story of Hanukkah. We don't re, there's no, there's no, it's not like by Purim where there's like a big Maisa tshuva. There's no tshuva in the story of Hanukkah. And, and there's not really like a, a full tikkun at the end. So the whole story, it appears to be one giant nefila. But the holiest sight of Hanukkah is that what you believe is a nefila is not shayach to the world of nefila. All of that is, all of that is going up. Which brings us back to this idea of the machlekes between Beishamah and Beishila. I want to share with you a story just to illustrate this idea. What would it look like? How would we describe it if somebody's entire life is falling apart? If you have a person, I'm thinking of a specific person in my head, I'm not going to get into any of the details. You could all think of your own specific person. There are people whose lives are mamish just falling apart. Everywhere they turn, everything is bad. Their marriage is bad, and their and their kids are 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 mamish not. They're not holding. They're not handling. They're not able to make it through, and and their job isn't going. And and the bank is is threatening them. And call me the. There's nowhere that they can go. There's nowhere for them to turn. So, there's two ways of looking at it. One way of looking at it is the person is going through a gvaldik and nefila. And, and at the end of that nefila, he discovers something. And what is that? He discovers, and this is the crazy thing to discover, that you're defined by none of those things. That every single thing that fell apart in your life, none of those things are you. And so a person lets go of all of the elements that he thinks or she thinks defined them, and once you let go of that, you discover that there's a nakuda of I'm okay. I'm not defined by my marriage, I'm not defined by my children, I'm not defined by my job, I'm not defined by my house. There's, a, there's, a, there's an essential point of you, and that essential point is always okay. You see this in the world of addiction very much, that a person who's mamish lost everything, in the process of losing everything, at some point they realize, not that it was okay that I lost all those things, but none of those things defined me. It's, it's very often, La Elena, what we see when children go off the derech, that parents have to go through this process of understanding that it has nothing to do with them, and that they're okay. And that you're not defined, you're, first of all, that your relationship with your child is not defined by the level of observance of the child, or the way that the child observes or doesn't observe. But even more than that, that the child is a human being, independent of you, and your need for the child to be in a certain way is your own codependence. And we do our best to raise our children to be Erlich Yidin, but if Chas V'Shalom Yid chooses to go in a different path, a parent has to go through a very painful process in that moment of saying, it has, that's not me, I'm not defined by that. It's not like you have to go to, like people go to like support groups or everything, like, I'm the parent of a child who went off the derech. If you're going to a support group like that, it's not because you're defined by that. Adarab, a person who goes to a support group like that needs to learn, I'm not defined by that. And the fact that we're all in this together is a group of people that are coming to say, it's okay. We can love our children no matter what choices they make because we don't over-identify with our children. So one way of looking at it is that everything fell apart in order to get to this essential nakuda. That's one way of looking at it. There's another way of looking at it, which is the exact opposite. All those things that I went through had nothing to do with falling apart. Every single thing that I was going through was only building. It may have appeared on the outside like everything was falling apart, but it was only building. There was never a point where I was going down. It's not Yerida Lotzar Chaliyah. Lo Yerida, ain't Yerida. There's no Yerida whatsoever. 
this is, this is the machlekes between Beishamai and Beishilo. Beishamai says, you start off at an 8, and you go down to a 1, and the miraculous nature of Hanukkah is at the very end, there's that one candle that's still burning, and that's that essential point of view after everything else has fallen off. That's you. Beishilo comes along and he says, Mailem b'kaydash ve'ein maridin. There is no yirida here. There's no yirida. All there is by a Jew is this bechina of aliyah. So there's no such thing as on Hanukkah, the, specifically the Bechina of Hanukkah, there's no such thing as going down. It could be there are other times in the year where we're machshiv, that David HaMelech type of nefila. Here there's no Indian of nefila whatsoever. It's only Mailem B'Kaydash Ve'en Moridin. That's why Hanukkah is Ches Neiros V'Halachah Kaveis Hillel. In the world of Hanukkah there is no Yerida. It's not possible. The oil doesn't really go down. It never goes down. It always rises to the top. Yosef HaTzadik teaches us what appears to be a nefilah is a yerida too. You're always in a state of falling upwards. It's a very hard thing to say in this tkufa. When, when so many people are going through such tragedy, you know, it's like, in a certain way, like it's, I mean, for us, because we're so, we're so involved in chesed, it's already become our new norm, no? It's already become the fact, that, the fact that the hotels are full of people from up north and down south. I think I read today, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read that there's 150,000 refugees in this country. 150,000 people that are displaced from their home. 150,000 is an extraordinary number. And where are they living? We know where they're living, right here in this neighborhood, right? <laughs> At Baruch Hashem for all the Americans that buy vacation houses, no? That is Hashem, they should be zeichah to come fast, for their sakes. And for us, but for their sakes. But, of course, of course like, who wasn't, who hasn't been baking? Who hasn't been, my, I have one daughter, she's like the sweetest girl in the world. She is as ADHD as they come. She's never met a word that shouldn't come out of her mouth. If it's in her head, it's coming out. She's like the most incredible girl. To sit and zag tehillim, I have other kids that can sit and zag tehillim. That's not her way. I have uh, my six-year-old and my nine-year-old. Uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old boy, and they sit and they say tehillim every single night. It's the, like the sweetest thing in the world. That my mother-in-law, she made some mitzvah for the family that everybody should say tehillim. So they're sitting there in bed, like zagging tehillim. It's their way of stalling. They're not. They're not tzaddikim, <laughs> but it's. But it's. It's very sweet. But this daughter, she said to me, Ava, like I'm just not going to be able to do that. That's not my way. She's living in the kitchen. She has baked more for Chayalim. Like, it's wild to see what she's done. And, and, and my mother, she also has alternative agenda. My mother bought her Uggs. That was like a very important thing. Uggs, that's what they call the boots? <laughs> they look ridiculous to me. But the, um, I mean, I'm very proud of her, but it's whatever, it looks ridiculous. But, the, uh, but she's living, everyone's like, but it's not even weird anymore. It's not like, nobody's writing articles about it anymore, how much we're doing, right? Now it's like, par for the course. Remember in the beginning, Mishpacha magazine had like that whole section, all the chesed? It's not even called chesed by us anymore, right? It's just like the new normal. Like, this is what we do. But it's not normal. It's not normal on any level what's going on over here. It's very hard to say, and I want to be very sensitive, it's very hard to say that there's no Yeridas. Because... If somebody lost a loved one, one of those 1,500 of those special neshamas that had the opportunity to be Mekadashem Shemayim, regardless of what their intention was, Bechefza, they were Mekadashem Shemayim. They died al Kiddush Hashem. 
for every soldier that's on the battlefield right now, that's that's walking through Gaza. We can't understand what that means to walk through Gaza. I have I have Talmidim that are sitting on the front lines in Lebanon, and they're doing real things, by the way. Even though it's reported as skirmishes, it's very cute. No, the difference between a war and a skirmish is like it's one of those words, right? They make up words. It's not a war; it's a skirmish. It's not a ceasefire; it's a humanitarian pause. It's a skirmish, but bullets are flying. But okay, but it's a skirmish. It's like uh, when I was a little kid, we were just play fighting. Play fighting was a way of boys beating each other up and not getting in trouble. So all the schools had the Asr play fighting. It's still fighting. We still pushed each other. What is it? A Jewish fight? Who's going to punch each other in the face? No Jews punch each other in the face. You ever see the boys, right? They push each other. That's all we do. So it's the difference between play fighting and fighting. It's just a word. It's not normal. It's not a normal thing. And I don't want in any way to be insensitive to, the, to what people are going through because there are wives that haven't seen their husbands for for a month and then for two I mean it's crazy uh, this this one guy he's a, he's a, he's the Abbaidim of Aseret he went I think he went 22 days without seeing his wife then he got a 12 hour leave and then he went another two weeks and now he's getting another leave like a quick like 12 hour leaves like it's a wild thing you saw, the, you saw the video everyone saw the video it was like an amazing video we had the whole yeshiva to line up to, to see him we surprised the boys it's not it's not normal it's not normal, and I don't want to be mezazel in any way to say that what a person is experiencing is not real, because there is a bechinah of Davra Melech, and the bechinah of Davra Melech, of feeling like I'm in a state of noifel, of harachamanu yakum lanu sukkas davra noifelis, that's real, and chas v'shalom for anybody. It's like walking into a shiva house and going, he's in a better place. It's true, but be quiet. <laughs> don't say that. Don't, don't say that. I don't want to be the guy who's saying, there's no yurida here, there's no nefila. There is a yurida, and there is a nefila. But what appears to be a Yerida and Nefila in the world of Kislev and the world of Hanukkah is not Bechalal and Nefila. That in the darkest moments of the winter, the nearest Hanukkah come to tell us, There is no Yerida that's happening over here. Every single thing is part of Mashiach's plan unfolding. We don't understand that I'm not going to predict the ways of the world, and I'm not going to, to say what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan is, far, far be it from me or anybody to say what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan is. But it's certainly true that this is a major wake-up call for Klal Yisrael. Uh, as a chaver of mine in America said, he's saying the brach of Pakeach Ivrim with, with newfound kavana. That, that chaver, we're, we're walking along the streets of Tinek, the streets of the five towns, living in an Eilam Adimion like anti-Semitism was dead. Even when they reported on CNN that there was a 400% rise in anti-Semitism... Okay, so some some over there in Brooklyn knocked the shtaimel off of some chassid's head. What does that got to do with me? So that's the way we thought about it. Pekeach Ivrim. This was a tremendous wake-up call. It's a tremendous wake-up call. Hundreds of thousands of people marching. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they'd be marching for for Russia in the Ukrainian-Russian war? Could you imagine if they said, "We really have to understand that the Russians feel oppressed by the Ukrainians." You think the Russians, in their world, if you would go to Russia, you think they don't have a narrative about the Ukrainians, why they had to fight them? They also have a narrative. But it's fascinating. Nobody in America and nobody in England and nobody in France marched for the Russians. They all marched for the Ukrainians. 1,500 of our brothers and sisters are murdered. I said it one time in this house, and, and people were, I think it was in this house, people were scoffing. They said, I said, you'll see, you'll see these words. I, I pointed at a certain comedian who said words, and I said, you're going to see, these words are not nothing. And, and hey, what does Berg know? Because this comedian said words. So that, and look what happened. Look what happened. When those comedians get up and they say those words, look what happened to the rhetoric. Look what happened to the world. And it's Pakech Ivrim. People are starting to wake up. Literally three minutes before I walked into this year. 
a chaver of mine from, from New Jersey reached out to me and said, where in RBS do you live? We're looking into buying a place. And he's a person who could afford to live here. You know, something like, he's running. The, 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 I, I'm not, again, I'm not here to say anything. I'm not here to say what's going to be. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Makabitz the Goliath. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how it looks like, how every Jew is going to get back to Eretz Yisrael. But we're coming here one way or another. It's a long process. It could be it's a two, three, four hundred year process. And it could be that it started two, three, four hundred years ago. But look what's happening. Lamaisa by next Shemitah, Rav of Klal Yisrael is going to be here. Next Shemitah is going to be a Daraisa. It's going to be major Shilas and Halacha. Next Shemitah is going to be a Daraisa. If you thought Shemitah was complicated, then told me. I see all the women going, I can't deal, I can't deal with the peels. I can't deal with the peels. I only, I only eat Nachri during Shemitah. <laughs> We don't. We don't know. We don't know how Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to be Mekabitz the Goliath. We don't. We don't know. We don't know what it's going to look like when Mashiach comes, and and Bifrat, If you're paying attention, anybody who's paying attention could read that something wild is going on. The Gedolei Torah slowly but surely all passed away in the last twenty, thirty years. It's a wild thing. No matter how you define Gedolei Torah, we lost so 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 many Gedolei Torah. It feels like sometimes we're, we're a Dar Yasom. We don't have the leadership that we once had. We're looking to see where's our of Moshe Feinstein, where's our of Soloveitchik, where's our of Aaron Cutler, where's our of Cook, where's our of Lubavitcher Rebbe, where's our of Hutner. We're looking to see where's our of Chaim Kanievsky, where's our of Geshen Edelstein, where's our of Baruch Mordechai Everyone's looking to see, and it's a wild thing. It's like it's, it's, there's, there's no leaders. There's, we're like children going, like, what are we supposed to do now? Somebody said to me, I asked one of the Rabbanim in America, why aren't you saying, no, let's go, Hevra? He goes, because our Gedolim aren't telling us to. I was thinking to myself, which Gedolim? What are you talking about? What are you, what are you, who, who, who didn't make the call? Which Rav is saying, stay? Like, what you, there's no, that's not the way the system is operating. But we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know how people are going to come back. We don't know what it's going to look like to go through this. But we know that the birth pangs of Mashiach are very, very powerful, and they're very painful. And for us, Bifrat, in this time, to go through this period without losing ourselves to the darkness. And there's this, that, there's this word, doom scrolling. You've heard of this word, doom scrolling? Mm-hmm. We make all these new words, fascinating words, doom scrolling. I never in my life, I scrolled. For, I, first of all, I never scrolled. In my life growing up, I, ne- I, didn't, I didn't write on scrolls, I never scrolled. And then there became a word called scrolling, now there's doom scrolling. What's means of doom scrolling? Doom scrolling is I'm sitting on TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any one of the you know, any one of these apparatuses that tell us all the bad things in the world, and because it curates your content according to what you look at, so, so then you could just, you know, like, just go like this, and you could see article after article after article after article, and, and a person has the capacity to lose themselves to it. That's why there's a tremendous amount of anxiety in the air, and, and a tremendous amount of unfelt feelings around the fact that the world is saying certain things about Klal Yisrael. It, 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 you can't lose yourself to the darkness if you know that the darkness has no shaykhs to you. The Yaakov Avinu is the Bechina of Kam, that Ace of Arasha is the Bechina of a Neufel. And Kizhizek Kam's a Neufel means that if we feel like we're a Neufel, it's because, only because we're borrowing language from Esau. It has no shaykhs to our world. That's the world of the Nachash HaKadmaini. It has no shaykhs to the world of a Jew. A Jew has the power to be metak in the chait of, uh, of Adam Rishon, which means that we're above. If you could rectify something, it means that you're above it. If you could, be, if you could rectify the chait of Adam Rishon, it means you're not shaykh to the world of that nefila. Yeah, please. So, but, but like, there are so many nefilas. Like, every day is almost a nefila. Yeah. And, like, it, I'm not saying this for the same, but like, it's kind of like, get up, and you know, you see these people saying, like, unbelievable things. Like, yeah. Coming out of Shiva, or, like, I mean, 
scholarship and they're just like, come on kids, let's go the way Abba did. Like, let's right. carry on our beautiful Jewish life. And it's like, wow. Like, but, but also the whole thing about anxiety and feelings is like, should, shouldn't we be feeling or feeling? I don't know. Like, how do you get, to, yeah. know, it's just sounding a little bit like, let's all go to Mashiach and... Yeah, I, again, I'm, I, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not here to say. I mean, I'm always here to say, let's go, Mashiach. That's that's <laughs> certainly, I'm, I'm all in on that. But, um, but first of all, I, I think, again, not Chasushon to be Mazalzal that that the, what people are going through isn't real. That it, it's real, but it has to be understood in its depth. Sometimes, what these people coming out of Shiva know that we don't know because we're on the outside of it. Because they're on the inside of the Nefila, they understand it better than we do, as they they. Especially if, like, these born and bred Israelis that have, like, mamish been living this for generations. Like, we're new, we got off the boat, we, you know, we arrived here with wherever we came from. They're not limited by it in the same way that we are. It, it, they, they understand it on the level of Yosef HaTzadik. It's not Chas to, to say that, that Bechin of David HaMelech isn't real. It's real, but it needs to be seen through the lens of a, of a Hanukkah. It needs to be seen. So a person comes out of Shiva, and, of course... No, by the way, no matter what they say, and Ari Fold is my wife's first cousin, so I'm not saying this, but I'm not saying this like from a distance. I'm saying it's it's not it's not the pshat that people don't go through it. People are going through it, and and there's a lot of feelings to be felt, and there's a lot of work to be done in the aftermath of those types of tragedies. But what you see from these people that go through it is the beginning point for them is not it, it's it's not that this darkness is going to overtake me. They, they understand that the, that the Yerida is, is, is an Aliyah. Not that it's the Tzarek Aliyah, it is an Aliyah. In a certain way, that's what gives us access to the real feelings. Because if you think the feeling is going to overtake you, then you won't allow yourself to go there. If you know that the feeling has embedded within it light, so then other Abba, that's where you go to find it. So it, it's like, um, the best way I could describe it is, grief is unexpressed love. Right? So... Person doesn't want to feel grief. As long as they've touched grief as depression, nobody wants to feel grief. So they stay out of grieving. The moment that a person realizes the beauty of grief, they'll allow themselves to feel it and they'll move through it. As long as you define the the nefila in a David Amalek way without a Yosef Hatzadik first, so then it's then it's I'm in a state of nefila. If a Yosef Hatzadik comes first, so then the nefila itself has beauty hidden within it. The nefila itself is the aliyah. So it's what gives you access to it. Does that, does that make sense? Does that resonate a little bit? It's not, again, it's not in any way chas to put down anybody or to say that a way a person is grieving is wrong. It's just to say that we have to have the perspective that we are living in unbelievable times. Who, who here thought, two months ago, who, who here thought that we were going to be making tzitzis for every single soldier? Who here thought that we were going to get Shilas there? Rabbanim are getting Shilas today from seminaries. So I know that the Ramah writes that we shouldn't be making tzitzis, but maybe we can make tzitzis now. That's a, that's a real Shila that people are getting. Who here thought that we were going to be having stories of people in the army that are going through a Geras process that ran to finish the Geras process because they said, if I die in Gaza, I want to die as a Yid. Who thought these stories were going to happen? Who thought, who thought that... that that Ramah Chemish with all of its complexity and every different block means that you have a different hashkafa, <laughs> who and you have to choose which block you're going to live in because that defines your child for the rest of his life, right? <laughs> who here thought that all of a sudden those blocks were not going to matter one key who's in? It doesn't matter who moves on to your block from the south, but everybody's bringing food. 
It's an unbelievable thing. I'll share with this. I'll finish with this. There's a family in in R, in RBS Aleph. It's a wild story. Uh, a Chiloni family moved into the house. The father was up in Gaza fighting. And it wasn't moved into the house like they had a separate, like, you know, downstairs Pesach kitchen type of situation where they just, like, hid them. They didn't have anything. This family took them in Mamish. It was a wife and two little kids. And that means doing their laundry and feeding them and taking care of everything. And the wife went over, the, meaning the, the wife of the, person, of the visitor, she went over to the mother of the house and she said, I feel badly walking around in pants. Could you lend me a skirt? It's a Haredi family. She said, what are you talking about? You don't have to wear a skirt. So we, we love you just the way you are. So this woman says, she said, I'll never in my life heard of a, of a Haredi family like this because we were so distant from each other. And then her husband came home for Shabbos and he was there for Shabbos and she said, no, get dressed for Shabbos. You're not dressed like a mensch. And it's like an unbelievable thing. They never, they never in their life saw chesed like this. Who would have predicted this? Is it exceptionally painful? Chas v'shalom for me to say it's not. It's ridiculously painful what people are going through. I'm watching the pain. I'm watching the wives of those soldiers. I'm, I'm, I'm literally living it. In Medaseret, our whole kill is gone. The whole kill is up fighting. The wives are there by themselves. And, and the government stopped the checks to the, to the kailim. But these guys, that's where their money comes from. So they're like up fighting and they're getting no money. It's a wild thing. So we're funding their wives right now. We're paying for all the, for all the wives, for their food, for everything. We're taking care. The pain is real. But this whole thing is an aliyah. If you're paying attention, you see the whole thing is an aliyah. We're baderach somewhere. Bez Hashem, we should get there soon. Okay.